Hi everyone, welcome to the AI of Mankind show, where I share anything interesting about mankind. I'm your host for this season. My name is Andrew Liu. I've worked across four continents and 12 international cities. Also, I've worked in tech startups across a range of roles from selling products, making customer happy, figuring out fundraising, making finance tick, building teams, and developing sticky products. Apart from building startups, I've also worked in Fortune 500 companies as a chief data scientist or technologist or people leader. You can call me jack of all trades or master of learning. I hope to make this podcast show a great learning experience for us. In each season, there is a series of interesting things where I invite guests to share their views about their life and interests. Now let the show begin. In the previous episode, Jaisel shared her views on unplugging away using data analytics to understand relational dynamics and the need to take multidisciplinary approach to design technology regarding the future of work. This episode continued the part 4 conversation with Jaisel and Jaisel shared her career advice on how to build a career in AI, digital and data. Let's continue. Okay, so like coming back to the next interesting question is how do you learn how do you enrich your learning what is the best book that you read about digital transformation or any books that you recently read that is useful in the course of your life or work there's a lot of different things i read, especially because the space that i'm in there's so many different friends that are on this so i'm not going to pick one particular one but i will say that i think it's so important to stay curious to learn broadly and like I just mentioned to you just a moment ago, I think that we have to take a multidisciplinary approach so that we have a holistic view of what it means. When we talk about the future of work, we're talking about the future of how humans make money and how they add value or give value or share their skills. And so we're thinking about something that's, you got to understand what, what are these people and how they work, right? design, understand design, understand anthropology. I talked about economics, understand marketing and history. What is the history of how work evolved? Human resources didn't even start really until people were trying to create policies and laws to protect people, labor laws and things like that because children were being put to work because women weren't being paid the right way because there was like humans that had to be formed. And so then this practice of human resources or human management came to play at the beginning. And that's how we've evolved into what we know today as humans. So the world of work is, again, people worked to begin with because what follows how we value money. We went from a barter system and we went from other decades and centuries of slavery. And now people earn a wage and then... How do you ascribe value to a specific role and how much wage goes to that specific role? Why does an entertainer make a certain amount of money versus someone who cleans a hospital? So that's right. just I, 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 very interesting. I, I totally agree with you that there's so many disciplines that we need to be curious and learn from. But is there anything that is unique? Any recent things that you have read something like you mentioned, for example, history. It's very new to me. Like any interesting yeah. book that or yeah. resource material that you are able to share with the audience who wants to learn more from 
a get and go from a start? Yeah. The things I've been looking at so far has been a lot about inclusion. I've been really immersed into that because it's just very interesting to me. I thought that plays a role in the world of work. So I would say that there was, there was a book that I read and I can't remember the exact title right now, but it had to do with, it had to do with how gender and race and all of that came to play. And it was made by a, I believe it was a cultural anthropologist. And it just started to shine light into where did that concept never come from to begin with? There owns a book called Subtle Acts of Exclusion by Tiffany Jaina. And I would recommend that book for people to read. What's been all this talk globally and especially in the United States over the past several years, especially in 2020? Why did that come to play? How come that got exasperated during the pandemic? Why is that such a big deal to where now organizations are starting to mandate and certain laws or certain legislation around, hey, you have to report, like the Security Exchange Commission has put this call out to organizations that if you're publicly traded, you have to report your diversity metrics and analytics in order to be in good standing. And then private equity firms are also starting to say you have to have a certain amount of women on your board of directors. You cannot just be a bunch of men on the board and they can't just be of the same race. Things like that. It's very interesting. So I, again, Subtle Acts of Explosion by Tiffany Jana. But there's some great books out. Bernard Marr has some books about artificial intelligence. Let's just stick to this too for our audience, but I, because even for myself, I'm going to put it on my Goodreads list to read. So Subtle yeah. Acts of Inclusion by Tiffany Jinnam and Bruno Marx on Artificial Intelligence. Yeah. Talking about that, yeah, because I'm really interested to even learn from your perspective, like you mentioned about there's that movement of talking about inclusion, exclusion and diversity that suddenly, like you say, like the SEC basically say any listed companies have to have diversity metrics. Tell me in a very simple two to three minutes, like how does this whole story came about to this movement to enable this thing to be stamped on all listed companies? You know? Ultimately, the Security Exchange Commission deals with you having to report your financials and everything like that. So it's a reporting group. Ultimately, at the end of the day, organizations are seeing that it impacts revenue. If they do not have organizations that are inclusive, if you have everybody that looks the same, sounds the same, thinks the same, you're always promoting the same people, you're only hiring the same people, that affects your bottom line. Why? Because your customers on the outside and your employees that you would want to attract and retain in the inside are starting to say, most valuable to me, things like ethics, things like inclusion, things like social justice, things like doing right by people. And so we won't do business with you anymore if you're not holding up to the standards that they believe. So in, in short, the people have spoken and they want more inclusion. And so organizations are having to follow suit. So there's two components over here. One is research that shows that a diversity does have some positive impact on business outcome. But even then, if the capitalists or the shareholders would knew that they would have naturally put in diversity inclusion into place. But yet, on the same time, normally when any country that passed legislation is because there's a societal benefits. It's almost like a carbon footprinting where aren't you when I factor this thing in? Most companies, they don't even want to think about carbon, sustainability, they don't want to think about inclusion. So how there's the part that I'm interested to know, like, why do you think that the U.S. will legislate inclusion and diversity in 
from a societal perspective? And well, societally, it looks like there's a lot of ramifications. There have been studies that show that companies that do that have more rev- there's more loyalty to the brands. There's more innovation that comes. All of that happens. The other thing is, you've heard the United Nations have put out calls to action that they're saying, listen, how many people have a disability in the world? It was like, well, there's a huge amount of people with some sort of disability in the world. They are the least group that we hire. They're the least, they're the most unemployed group. Yet they're one of the biggest segments that was employable but not being employed. And so even just for furthering societies and being able to say, let's give people job opportunities so that economies in different countries of the world can rise up. Let's put those people to work. Let's give people opportunities. Buzz ends, in which, by the way, plus circle moment from the first question that you asked me, and I fucked for opportunity. That's why I've been going passionate about this topic. I am so about giving people out. Why not? I agree. Think along that line that you just mentioned about there's so much benefit. Why isn't shareholders doing early end? Uh, let's, let's talk about, like you say, people with disability or people with alternative ability. That why can't the government actually offer subsidy to companies to, to use technology to augment capability from the people with disability? That's a great question. I think one of the issues that many organizations have had is for many years before 2020 and before all this talk about diversity, equity, inclusion was like very main. People were talking about this topic before, but I think companies have seen it as more of a cost and a burden. They're like, oh, if I hire somebody with a diverse ability or different ability, then I have to accommodate them. They have to work in my organization. I'm going to have to make sure that they have special accommodations and I have to invest in that. So then I have to invest in training my people to deal with those types of, of workers. If you don't understand someone with dyslexia, then you need to, who has autism or Asperger's or anything like that, then a manager and their team needs to learn so that they know not to be offended when the person doesn't look you into the eye because they just don't have that social tie. Other autistic person will not think that way. Or if it's someone like me, don't give me a plethora of horizontal pages because I probably need to hear it better to assimilate it. Not the sexier. So I think organizations found it more of a risk factor yeah. than, and that's why they've been leery about it or really about it. I think now we are shining the light better and that concept is changing. Like the idea that you mentioned about like that companies are finding it more risky to take on people with disability because there's so many different types of disability and there's uncertainty. So as companies, like you say, they don't see clear return on investment on things, they won't want to invest. So it's a very similar problem where Many years ago, before Obama came about, that came out to introduce Obamacare or universal healthcare, companies are also like not offering universal healthcare to everybody. And it's only when the government decided to say, hey, let's, everybody has to subscribe to some kind of universal healthcare, then automatically reduce the cost of healthcare or healthcare coverage that enable universal healthcare to be possible. Do you think that it's a very similar parallel in that by creating that legislation of diversity metrics and inclusion, it compels universal employment. Yes, I think so. I think now certain organizations have been motivated by metrics, may just be trying now at this time to fix their numbers, right? And yeah. make sure that they are doing better. So it's like getting forced into their behavior. 
what's right. But yes. then there's other organizations. Some have their hearts in the right place. They they recognize that maybe they never had a diversity office before and that they should now. And so they're not only deploying those offices, hiring those new roles, which training their associates on unconscious bias training or racial terminology that should not be used in the workplace or products. Oh, man. So many things are happening. So there's progress. And I think whatever is spurred by, either way, it's progress. I agree. It's a big step towards a better humanity on universal employment. Like you said, there are companies that are more progressive. They already see that it works and let's double down investment on creating universal employment on my people, sure. on my company. But maybe because there's a large proportion of companies that they are not foresighted that the government has to bring that foresight to people by putting metrics on these companies so that they can wake up. Yeah, so now that's how change starts a lot of times. <laughs> so now coming back to the next interesting question that I want to ask you, Giselle, is what is the number one app or software that you use almost on an everyday basis? I'm going to have to go with anything mobile apps, especially things of information that I can consume. So I'm going to say social media platforms, number one topics are besides, I mean, followers have to stay reading. So any podcast channels, Social media channels, when I'm listening to what people have to say, are right there, ebooks or audio books, that kind of thing. So, any particular app like iBook or Amazon Kindle or. Yes, the Amazon Kindle is my one, those kind of things. And then, of course, I stay on things like Spotify, Apple, for podcasts. Social media is great too. By the way, social media is crazy and a little bit like we've seen the downfall of it and how it affects people negatively. But there is a positive side if you're an information seeker. You can learn from your YouTube app or you can learn from Instagram and Twitter. You can learn a whole new topic that we're never exposed to just because you're following people's threads and looking at the little video snippets for a minute and 30 seconds. It's really good. Very helpful. Uh, I totally agree with you and I like the way that you think in terms of always look on the bright side of things. Now, help those who are keen to start a career in the future of workspace or in the digital space. What are your top three tips for them? I'm going to say to thank curious. We just talked about so many things on this podcast today and I think stay curious, learn as much as you can, make sure that at the same time that you're learning as much as you can, I would encourage you to specify in something. So the future of work, for example, such a broad area. And plus, it's about the work now. And it could be the gig worker, the contingent worker, the full-time worker, the different types of generational workers, the different types of races, and if nobody's and genders, if there's so many different types, right? Yeah. Then you're around the workplace. about people working from home. You got people working in the office or a hybrid of that. And soon you'll have people working, and they already are in a metaverse. And so where you work and then the work itself is constantly evolving. Before, we would do production lines and assembly lines. Today, people are working on projects, on gigs. They're sharing their skills. So I'd say just like specifying an area, get good at it and finally find your voice. What is your voice? What is the message that you want to say in an arena like the future of work? Don't just be a repeater of what everybody else says. Build your own brand. Have your own opinion. And stick to that. Cool. So the let me repeat the few tips. It's really great nuggets. Stay curious, learn broadly, finding out a niche and finding your own voice. These are very great brilliant tips up there. So 
let me do the last question because you have given so much to the audience out here. Even for me, I really learned a great deal. So last but not least, what is your request from those listening to this podcast? What is your ask so that we can do our best to help? Say, listen to some more of Andrew's podcast. I would say for everyone listening, no matter what your culture is, no matter where you live in the world and you're listening to this, be curious about other people. And when you do that, you expose yourself to other people, the way of life, the way that they think, the way they approach things. I know that we are almost married to the way that we are upbringing our worldview, our countries, but the world is global and there's so much more out there. So I would just say everything that you do, put an inclusion lens on, put some glasses on of inclusion and think about people that approach the world different from you. And once you can do that, I think that we can have a better future warfare. So you see, so the final advice is put a good inclusion lens, be positive, create a positive future of work for everybody. Thank you so much, Giselle. We have come to the end of the podcast. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode. We have come to the end of part four with Giselle, and this is the end of the podcast series with Giselle. This is the first time you are tuning in. Remember to subscribe to this show. If you have subscribed to this show and love this episode, please share it with your friends, family, and acquaintances. See you later and see you soon. Thank you.